The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. It's different than our normal interviews because it starts off with a a discussion on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So... (laughs) Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the use of facial recognition technology for school safety, digital learning days for professional development, the end of Common Core, and we have two amazing interviews with Jonathan Spike and Will Stewart. It's funny, you're not supposed to talk about like things that happen like in small moments on podcasts because you can listen to a podcast like, you know, so like six months from now when someone's listening to this. Oh, yeah, they're going to think they're going to think <laughs> the next 10 minutes is completely irrelevant. <laughs> but hey, I want to like talk this. about I want to talk about the damn Super Bowl. So who cares? Well, it's such an important event, uh, not only in the United States, but I think throughout the world. I mean, I think it's the most watched event besides the World Cup, which we talked about also. So if someone goes back sure. and watches- yeah. Watches we those the episodes on this uh, uh, around this day. We were talking World Cup <laughs> on every quick hit. So there you go. <laughs> and you, you you hate Tom Brady. Um. Yes, I dislike him very much. I don't want to say hate. Very, oh, you're because um, <laughs> I really don't know him. I just sure. I, I actually, you know what? I, who I do hate is Bill Belichick, his coach. I just okay. I just think he's so smug. And he is smug. And my goodness, I just can't wait till he retires and then is hanging out in his house with his cutoff sweatshirts and uh, enjoying life wherever he may enjoy it at and then never come back to the NFL. <laughs> so I, I never have to see his face. And then everybody's so happy with his stupid responses to interview questions, <laughs> like his smug little responses that yeah, he, yeah. Are, he basically gives non-responses to every single type of question, which have become his tagline or whatever it's like his mo it's so smug he's like you're such an idiot for asking me that question how dare you so i can't wait till they lose today so (laughs) (laughs) which which five months from now when if the patriots have won then people can go back and go yep he was way wrong (laughs) i i mean i i liked tom brady i don't mind bill belchick i hate bob Kraft. i hate the owner owner. oh okay is a giant i mean Plenty, plenty of hate to go around, huh? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, this guy is so rich and just loves tax cuts. And, you know, anyways, he's one of those people. Typical billionaire. <laughs> typical typical friggin' billionaire. Dan- dancing on stage with Cardi B yesterday, which is hilarious because I'm sure Cardi B hates him too. Yeah, disgusting. I would, sus- I would, sus- I would sus- <laughs> right. I would suspect. But, I mean, the song was called Money. Yeah, so that's yeah. obviously that, what. There gets you go. That's what Robert, fires him up. That's what gets Robert <laughs> So, what's your money. prediction? What's the score well, and what's the outcome? So, I mean, obviously the Patriots are going to win. Ugh. Glenn okay. Irvin. And what's the score? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Patriots by ten. Okay. No no specific score. 
Okay. I think it's gonna uh, I think it's gonna be super high scoring. That's my I think that that's gonna be a guarantee that it's gonna be uh I, I think the final score is gonna be somewhere in the 30 40 range of each team scoring that so something like 42 to 30 you know five or something like that for the patriots no for the rams <laughs> i would never predict that they're gonna win <laughs> some kind of soul crushing play that just is called wrong you know would be the I best i actually too. love those endings in the super bowl <laughs> some that's kind of thing way at the end everybody's just devastated on the other side that's how i want the patriots season to end <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say 24. What would it be? It would be 24 14. Okay. Let's say so a low scoring Patriots. Game. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, you yeah. never know. And and I I think that I think that the nail in the coffin will be in the end, like in the fourth quarter. Maybe something like uh, there'll be like a, a a drive with like a few minutes left that gets the Patriots a touchdown. And then and then and then the Rams are a little bit desperate, so they start trying to throw the ball to get downfield. Maybe there's an interception, and the and the Patriots bring it back for a field goal. How's that? Hopefully, for not. like a a full like that's a full out prediction. Again, yeah. six months from now, one of no us one's is going to want to hear like, <laughs> One of us is going to like a big dummy. Yes, <laughs> I'm right. fine. If it, I'm fine with it's me. I'm I'm actually pretty bad at sports predictions, so um. Uh, almost as bad at at, at political predictions. <laughs> so you know, my track record is not stellar not, in this regard. Good. Yeah, uh, we'll I I love the do. You, do you do food and stuff? Yes, we're gonna. We have uh, each of us in the household. So my wife, myself, and my two sons. Each of them have. Each of us have picked out an item that we wanted nice. as a special. We're not gonna call it like. It's all like kind of snack type food. So, you yeah, know, I yeah, picked yeah. peel and eat shrimp. Nice. Uh, my sons, God knows what they each have picked. Um, oh, so you don't know yet? No, no. I think they told my wife, but I can't remember okay. what, they, what they said. So it must be things like, uh, I'm thinking like pretzels and cheese, you know, kind of that thing. Uh, soft pretzels and cheese maybe is one of uh-huh. them. I uh, can't remember. But yes, we're going to do the whole, I think that's the best part is just sitting around and yelling at the TV, uh, maybe watching uh, an interesting commercial or two that it actually is compelling. Maybe we'll talk about one of those next week if if something is actually good. Uh, you should know something. But yeah, yeah, we we'll, don't get we'll the same commercials. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, so you don't get the the Super Bowl commercials? You know the ones not that are... in the not in the same way because so so the Super Bowl's rights, the television rights, are owned by a different network in yes. Canada, and so to pay obviously for the rights, the network, the Canadian network obviously has to charge for Canadian commercials. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so there will be Canada. I get it. So there will be some commercials for companies that like do a lot of business in Canada where they may show them like in both the United States and Canada, but maybe, maybe not at the, the same time, for oh, example. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, you're not going to see we would like also the get... typical Doritos commercial or whatever it might be that we're all looking forward to. No. I'm having a hard time articulating which companies would show it in both places. Sure. But there's definitely like we'll get like a Bell Canada commercial maybe or a Rogers television major huge giant companies in Canada, but certainly not doing business in the United States at all. Okay. Um can absolutely so pay enough new. money for <laughs> right. Well, so what 
typically Canadians do is the next day, you know, because all of the commercials are talked about on the internet and put on YouTube and whatever. The next day, you know, you just go on and you watch them or you read one of those, read one of those rundown articles, the 10 best commercials that were on the Super Bowl. That's, that's typically going to be our segment next week. Sure. Absolutely. The top commercial. We don't need to do top 10. (laughs) No, that would go, that would go too long. Our favorite commercial. There we go. (laughs) We, um, my family doesn't, I'm the only person who cares about the Super Bowl. Okay. In my house. So I've tried like multiple things. I've had tried to have people over. Um, and, and, you know, everyone that comes is fun, having fun, except for my family who don't care about the Super Bowl. Okay. So that, that's kind of been a waste of time. I've tried to kind of just like, <laughs> I've kind of just had like wings and nachos and we've had chili and just us. Um, and that seems just like a giant waste of food because I mean, I'm making all of this stuff and then, you know, we're eating it and it's sure. fine, but like I, I get excited and I just make a whole bunch of stuff and then we end up leftovers for like a freaking week or whatever. So a week's worth of wings, baby. <laughs> right. Which I'm fine with, but yes. you know, um, so last couple of years I've been going out. Um, okay. cause then I can just like, there's, uh, I got a bar down the road. I can just go to the bar and have some wings and watch the super bowl. And then my wife can watch arrow or whatever show she's going to watch. And, um, you know, I'll watch the super bowl and yell and scream somewhere else. Yeah, that makes um, sense. <laughs> so I'm I'm probably going out, but I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Okay. Um. So we'll see. We'll yep. see. I, I love Super Bowl Sunday. I'm I get excited about it. So moving on, I suppose. Yes. Um. Uh, this was a really interesting article. Um. About school safety. Uh. And facial recognition technology, which I mean. I'll tell you, if this was at my school, I mean, my the parents at my school would have had none of this. Oh, like, OK, none of it. OK, at all. Um, I get the security concerns, but I mean, we have we have parents that are like adamant just about not having their kids pictures taken, let alone having anything to do with like cameras or anything like that. Yeah, I, I think there's just. The next step as far as in school safety, and as the article describes, uh, that market is a multi-billion dollar industry now, sure. uh, and it should be. I mean, there's just uh, tons of concerns about the way that schools are structured. The Even the, the procedures that we do at schools have completely changed in the last five years, uh, and the technology that we're using and that's super important on almost every school board's agenda is yeah. is school safety i mean that technology and being able to go ahead and make sure that we know that the people that are coming into our schools are the people that should be there um so things like you know things that didn't exist maybe 15 20 years ago when i began teaching uh you know where they everything is locked you know everywhere uh, where you can't just be a parent and walk down, you know, into a hall, uh, you know, you're led into a specific area and then there you check in, et cetera. This, yeah. the, the facial recognition technology, I, I think is just the next step. Uh, we sure have, we have 100%. things that, uh, I know in, in Minnesota and in, in states nearby that people are already using where basically it'll, uh, you'll use your driver's license to check in and then it'll automatically trigger, um, you know, safety alerts or it'll, uh, run it through a database basically mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. make sure that, that who it says you are is who you are and you belong with someone in the school, you know, those kinds of things. So 
lots of that stuff. I know what you're talking about as far as the facial recognition technology and it is scary, but like we just said, like we were talking off air, everything is being monitored nowadays. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the times we give this information up freely um, because, totally. because we want a free product. And one of the things that's coming, whether we want it or not, is facial recognition technology and and things like ocular uh, detection, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, I think within the next 10 years, this is going to be commonplace. You know, it won't be like the scary next thing. It's like going to be the thing that everybody, you know, that we expect. We yeah. give up. We give up that right, uh, that privacy, so that for our own safety. So it's an interesting, uh, you know, uh, dichotomy between those two things: safety versus privacy, and 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 how those two things balance themselves. I mean, this. I mean, we had so at our at at the school we had security cameras. Uh, I mean, I should I guess clarify but i mean i i think that i think that there's a line for for our school for our community that that would have been crossed but i mean it makes sense i guess one of the other things that is an interesting dynamic and and um should be considered is, is that this isn't really as much of a conversation just in canada in general school safety um and security and like the the heart like metal detect like there's no school that i've ever seen in canada that has metal detectors high school elementary school anywhere for example and and and, i mean um i don't feel like there's a sense of danger at school and in canada like there might be in the states like with school shootings and 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 whatnot uh it's just not like there are lockdowns and there's procedure my wife has been involved in um lockdowns where they where they let no one in or out of the school because of something happening you know down the road or or something like that she used to work at a at a at a k to five school and there was a six to eight school like literally right next door yes and and actually um uh, a an issue at the six to eight school that caused a lockdown at her school is actually what induced her labor for for Isaac. Wow, um, the stress, the, <laughs> the yeah, stress. the stress, the stress from that. Like, um, so that was about you know ten years ago or whatever. Um, you know, funny funny story, but um, yeah, I don't think that we have a same the same sense of of danger. Um, that unfortunately, you know, happens in, in the U.S. But, um, you know, if this stuff can be out of your way, if it can feel like it's not invading on your whatever, your sanctity, your privacy, and, and be effective and keep people safe, then obviously it's common sense. Yeah. And in the article, it describes that, uh, of course, they make sure that they state that this is not going to prevent – it's not a full safe – uh, thing you know, just because you have facial recognition technology, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a school shooting at your school. Right. There's nothing no, to pre- really prevent that in the end. It's just another measure, another tool to be able to use. And just like you were just talking about that word, the lockdown word, yeah, that's actually the exact opposite of the trainings that are taking place now in the last five years in the United States. And it's because of Columbine and all of the other information that we've learned, uh, unfortunately, through all of these school shootings, is that we've learned that the worst thing we can do is lock ourselves down. And the best thing we can do is 
to do all of these other things. So uh, there's a program called Alice, which is basically like an active shooter kind of uh, procedures. And, mm. it, and it has the students and the teachers do things that make sense to them at the moment. One of them is locking yourself down, but it's only one of the many options that you have. So the other options are basically escaping from the school. Uh, yeah. Other things are if you actually, uh, they, we actually talk about shooters, which is crazy that we do this, but we talk about basically throwing anything at the shooter, running towards them, because uh, even the most highly trained uh, police officers have a very inaccurate hit rate when someone yeah. is actually in motion and moving, uh, much less some kind of you know kid or whoever it might be that's actually shooting. So unfortunately, we have these conversations because it's real. Uh, yeah. And hopefully we don't have to bring it up again this year, but that's the culture uh, in the United States currently. And uh, you know, one more one more thing to be able to hopefully prevent these tragedies from happening. Right. Totally. Hey, I w- I've been thinking about this because you, you had a couple of days off this week and uh, my son had a, a day where he wasn't taking the when when uh, and we talked about we've talked about this just because it's um, relevant with the weather going on. Uh, how I keep Isaac home uh, when the buses are canceled at our school because they just they don't do anything at school when the buses are canceled. Yes. Um, and I was curious what you guys do on days. Like, I know that some schools have these digital learning days where they still like almost run classes. You can use something like Schoology, for example, to still like do work um, just remotely. Like a teacher can sit at home and have all of their students still log in. So like write a note, you know, even though today you're not at school, we're going to do this and this and this today and almost try to run your class remotely. Is anything like that going on um, where you're at? Yes. Uh, It is not in my school district, but in many school districts uh, through not just Minnesota, but through the United States, they have these things built in. Uh, Some of them even practice these days. So they'll intentionally take a day off, for example, in the fall. I think I read that. uh, Intentionally so that they can learn the... Uh, kind of the ins and outs and the students get used to how does this actually work, you know, making cool. and then kind of finding any flaws in the system itself. So when it does happen, they've already remedied those issues. Uh, I guess the biggest issue could be uh, access. So we're talking about like Wi-Fi access, whether or not someone would have that in their home. And in the United States, yeah. uh, we don't have like a, you know, a public Wi-Fi kind of access system that exists, you know, everywhere so so there could be kids that uh, are lacking access so they couldn't actually do you know digital component but for them a lot of these schools have found success doing that in a variety of different ways some of them being non-digital things so that they actually there's something that they already have uh, that their parents have been given that if there's a day like this here are the things that you do um and then some of it has to do with learning management systems, like you just described, going yeah. on to Schoology or whatever else it might be, and then being able to complete your assignments, logging into something like Skype or some other kind of meetup, uh, and then running your class like you normally would, and then having people, have your students log in, and then it's not a, a, a day that's lost. Uh, yeah. Corey Graham was describing that in her school district, what they do is the staff does a digital learning day. So they do professional development then too. They just do that instead. The kids don't uh, have any work to make up, but the staff has to do, you know, 
a module, uh, whatever might be, you know, participate in a discussion, whatever it might be, you know, those kinds of things uh, to be able to do some professional development. So you, you create those things in, in case those days happen. And then when they do, you, you can go in there and make it up whenever you want to do it. You know, you make up that time. So it's kind of cool because then you don't have to come into physically into school and you don't have to make them up. Because currently at my school, for example, you have to make up these days. So you, when, you you add them to the calendar or you take away vacation days that are coming up or you add them at the end. When, uh, when I mean, when it snows in Barrie, which is virtually every day, uh, <laughs> and, and I suspect where you are, I mean, we get lake effect snow, so I got I got a good three feet of snow in my front yard. But I mean, the snow plows go into action and there's there's dirt on the on the roads and salt in, in a matter of hours. Uh, there are cities and states that are just absolutely not equipped to handle yeah. even a small amount of snow. And certainly no one has like snow tires on their car. Like it's actually a law in most provinces in Canada that you have to have like you can get a ticket for getting into an accident and not having snow tires really on your. Oh, yeah weird i mean because they make such a huge difference in your ability to prevent accidents yeah um you I, are, I, mean, I mean with the weather that you're describing it, it would make sense it, it completely makes sense actually though the rental car from the accident doesn't have snow tires so not only am i afraid of just you know um, well i am afraid of just sliding all over the place um you know so i i can just see why um, when it when weird weather happens that people communities aren't expecting why it would be good to be prepared for those those eventualities i know in places like moncton new brunswick on the on the east coast uh, and in halifax in the maritime provinces that do get like hammered just absolutely crushed like 10 times a year um there they have a lot of really cool plans and, and contingencies as well um, we don't really hear. Um, we just keep Isaac home and let him kind of do his own thing. But um, but I know that I know that those exist, and I, I'm really interested in in them because I think they're kind of cool. Yes, for sure. For um, sure. We I, I'm pretty conflicted about this, and and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. We're we're running out of time, but um, I, I came across that Florida is is planning to end the use of Common Core, and I I'll admit I don't have a, a huge depth of knowledge about common core other than i know it's a nationalized you know um learning objectives and learning standards um and, and i'll get i'll get glenn maybe you can explain to me a little bit about common core in just a second but the 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 kind of the short end of this is that they're they're getting rid of it for a couple different reasons um some are good and some are kind of bad and pretty typical of you know republican administrations to be honest uh, that are a little strange. I do like that one of the things that, that one of the reasons they've cited is a need for increased levels of social studies and civics education. Um, uh, there's actually a lawsuit, I think, happening in Arizona um, where a group of students is suing the school district or board or the state because they're not teaching kids about civics because you have all of these kids and they're growing up and they don't really understand how their government works anymore. I, I appreciate that. I think that that's something you guys need pretty badly, to be honest. Sure. Um, but um, I mean, Common Core is generally by teachers thought of as a bad thing. Am I right? Um, I don't know if it's thought about as a any kind of mandate 
that's unfunded. I don't have a nuanced any kind of mandate that's unfunded, which that's sure. what that's what Common Core is. I mean, that's what the first thing is. Just like any kind of federal thing that we usually get in the United States, it comes as a giant directive, and okay. then um, and then there's no money to support the the implementation of this. Um, each individual state has its own standards, um, and and each individual state decides how they're going to let's call it test uh, those specific standards that are important to that you know, whatever might be that state. Uh, and then each individual district has its own ability right. to be able to go ahead and make those kinds of decisions upon, you know, what the, what they want to focus on. Um, so the common core, it's not that it's some evil thing. It's just that anytime it comes, something comes uh, from the federal government, it, it can it obviously, and it's a mandate, uh, it it could have some negative connotations, especially if it's associated with some kind of a summative, uh, one-time, high-stakes test. Um, and and so it's interesting that this guy, who's a Republican, is going to put an end to Common Core. Uh, yeah. his, his like you just said, his reasons for doing so are probably not something that that <laughs> you or I would agree with. Putting it into using it as a you know as a guide, I guess that's okay. But really, in the end, it, the, the Common Core is just a guide. It yeah, tells okay. you it, it it tells you and and allows you to take a look at what should be happening at each different grade level for a variety of different things like reading and math. I mean, I would say are the biggest things on there, but there's other things that are included as far as part of it. And we look at it as a guide to make sure that we use it to, you know, uh, create our curriculum and and align align our things so that whatever we're doing within our schools is fitting some kind of national mold too, not just within our state, right, but, but within the nation itself. Um, so, putting an end to it is whatever. I mean, you could say, okay, we're done with it. The biggest question is, what do you like? You just what do you replace about, it with? What do you replace it with? That's what uh, we're worried and about. And then, where is that coming from? Like, what is that? Uh, you know, a body of work that you're going to create that's going to then, you know, that's what we're going to be following from from this point forward. So that should be interesting uh, as far as what are they going to come up with there in the state of Florida. Yeah. Something to make sure that we take a, continue to take a look at. Um, and and then follow to see what do they end up being what ends up being the replacement for this because one of the reasons they cite for replacing common core is that they contend that it um it is uh uh inoculated i don't know what other word to use i think that's the word they actually use with with liberal values and liberal ideology so i mean that's a typical pretty typical right wing thing to suggest and that's this is strange. i mean DeSantis is a pretty right wing governor. I mean, this is the guy who did the commercial with his kid building a wall with bricks. Yes. Uh, a disgusting know. human. Yes. Right. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> obviously a, a pretty terrible person. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that they would suggest, you know, that that um, that Common Core, the current educational standard injects liberal values into people, um, you know, whatever. I mean, that's a stupid argument. Um, but I I worry about the irony that, you know, they'll create something that injects 
actual like hard right values into people um and that's that's i I mean that's pretty bad too um so i mean it's it's scary when you get when you start getting governments replacing educational systems with with uh with systems that have their own views in them uh on the right or the left it's not good either way i reject the premise that you know their system is injected with liberal views but i mean um injecting any kind of political ideology into the education system is probably not a good thing from either side right so um we'll we'll keep on it we'll watch i mean obviously it's got a bit of a long tail i don't think they have to have it implemented until 2020 and I, i realize that's not that far away but you know hopefully we we come back to it um there are definitely a lot of states, you know, looking at stuff like this. So, I mean, you you have a note here about New Mexico ending high stakes testing, which I mean, that sounds like a good idea, right? Yes, it's just a different take on it, and a lot of people are looking into those high stakes one time testing and saying, "Yeah, that's not what we should be doing." Now, this is a little different, though. I mean, as far as it, you're eliminating yeah. basically a set of of standards. And, right. and you're saying we're going to replace it with something else. What is that that you're going to replace it with? That's the that's the question. We'll find out. We will find out. Uh, we have something special for you coming up next. Uh, we actually have two interviews. We're going to do them back to back. Our our buddy John Spike from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater joined us at FETC. He was just chilling at the table, and we were like, why why don't we have the mics on, guys? Yes. So we literally it's a, just it's a super fun interview because I've listened to it several times. <laughs> and if you guys we, don't <laughs> it's different than our normal interviews because it starts off with a a discussion on B- Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So <laughs> so just so you guys know that it's not a typical interview, but then we do have a typical interview right after that too. Yes. We do get serious at some point, I think. Yes. Um so so uh coming up next is uh Jonathan Spike from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater. Quests, one of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far, is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quests today. Visit Classcraft.com for more information. Welcome back to the podcast. We are with John Spike, and we're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, sorry, is there educational value to Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Probably not. Though, <laughs> maybe. But I just thought Jonathan Spike, you know? Spike? He said, just call me Spike. I'm like, no one ever says that. Just call me Spike. Just call me Spike. See, and I don't have any frame of reference because... Spike is a great character. He's like the nemesis in the... Uh, the nemesis turned love interest turned nemesis again back in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And his blonde is, hair slicked back. He's just fantastic. Basically me. He's well, British. I was going to say, you he don't have a blonde hair slicked except, back. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, yeah. So, so now you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should introduce Mr. Spike. Yes. John, why don't you tell people who you are, where you're from, what you do, that kind of cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am from Wisconsin, um, kind of the Madison area, if you're familiar with that. And uh, I am a coordinator of instructional technology integration services, um, which 
is the acronym COITUS, which is unfortunate. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, they did not think about that when I think they wrote the title. Um, but to kind of give you the, the one-sentence elevator pitch of it, um, I help pre-service teachers and uh, the instructors for a college of education uh, use technology and integrate technology. That's so awesome. kind of helping future teachers use tech in the classroom. So yes. are these specific courses too, John, that you're talking about like there's like uh... – teachers are actually taking specific courses regarding technology integration? Because we see a lot of teachers in Minnesota that don't have any idea, like they've never actually been exposed to a variety of different tech. Yeah, so we try to integrate it in our existing coursework, like the methods, you know, if you're going to be a social studies teacher, we would try to show meaningful ways to integrate it with the skills you're trying to teach, right? that makes more sense. We do have a Tech for Teachers course. Uh, It's not required for everybody. Only elementary and uh, spec ed is required to take that course. Otherwise, we try to, like I said, integrate it normally. Um, I do get to teach some courses too, uh, and they're elective. So students would choose to take them. Right. Uh, One is video games and learning. Nice. And then, uh, I, like I, that I want to take I, that course. I, I felt like you two would be on board with me. On that. If you want to audit it, you know, this spring, just let right, me know. Right. We just sit there. Is it, yes. Can it be done online? Uh, we don't have an online component right now, but we'll get there someday. We'll get there. Yeah. And what's the other one? Uh, and then uh, this one was for pre-service librarians, and it's called Digital Tools. So Very cool. Helping them understand and identify good digital tools for learning. Yeah. Right on. Very cool. Right on. Uh, and you spoke at FETC. So that's we're here, yes. and uh, you did a session this morning. Would you do your? You did two sessions. Uh, I had one this morning. I'll have one Wednesday. Nice. What are they about? Yep. So the first one was called "Well Played" using G Suite and Chrome to implement game-based learning, and the premise was basically the first half was kind of how do you curate games and how do you assess games, and I was focusing mainly on G Suite tools to do that or Chrome browser tools. Yeah. Uh, and then the second half was game design, kind of using some G Suite tools as a focus point for that, uh, and, and how do you get your students designing, how do you as an educator design an original or remixed experience? Yeah, right. so are you talking about like using, because Mike is a big uh, proponent of Google Slides. He loves Google Slides. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> he likes to talk trash about Google Slides. But but like things like Google Slides, Google Sites, mm-hmm. uh, Docs, and then being able to go ahead and use those in some sort of like gamification type of way or game-based learning kind of way? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, using those G Suite tools uh, to kind of capture learning, like, you know, the act of just screenshotting and reflecting on moments yeah. or using Screencastify embedded in, you know, Google Slides to talk about what you were observing in the moment or the decisions you made in a game yes. when you talk about assessing it. Uh, things of that nature are, are kind of what we focused on. Designing, you know, making a CYOA and um, choose your own adventure yes. in slides. Um, and one that I really oh, see, like. that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, games are at their bare essence really interesting choices, and so making a CYOA uh, in those is is a great way. But my favorite one that we do is called the Google uh, Drawings Battle Royale. Okay. And the idea is you bring four students into a Google uh, drawing. And it's cordoned off. It looks like, uh, oh gosh, what was the Mike Tyson's punch out? Yes. You guys remember that one? Yeah, like, yeah of course. The ra- the, so we have it looking like that in the arena. Four students in there, and you give them a prompt. It might be a topic from class, a vocabulary word, a character from something you're reading. And then they go out, and they either 
Google image search or like, you know, they could go into a kid safe one like photos for class or whatever. Yeah. They have to bring in images, GIFs, whatever they want to use to represent that term. And then you have the rest of the class vote. That's oh, kind of which, the, uh, who the, did the best job yes. in, in a limited amount of time. Yes. Basically. Yeah. So oh, you put, put a timer up. And so you got these images and you vote on it. And so it's just a quick way to introduce game-based learning into, you know, just, you know, your, your vocabulary, once again, topics. And then kids vote. You have each student then explain their drawing because some people might not have gotten what they were going for. Maybe yes. they were going for more metaphorical. Maybe they were going for, oh, these two images together Produce have a this. bigger meaning, right? Very so cool. you have a talk and then they revote to see if it changes anybody's opinion hearing the rationale. And then the whole entire thing held within the Google Suite. Yep. Yes. Yep. Just in the drawing. You just need a drawing and set those settings to, you yep. know, anybody can edit. You're on your way. That is super, super cool. Google Slides choosing your own adventure. I could get behind that. Yes. What I was just thinking that you said Google is boring. Google is boring. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> I'm standing they behind have it. I'm a not whole suite my... of tools <laughs> that's free. That's the most used suite of tools that we all yeah, use. You might yeah. think they're boring, but no, I mean, I'm saying like there are creative ways of being able to use them and like 100%. Really, you know, I, and I was thinking about sites also, like yeah. being able to do very, uh, good quick site design and then being able to put like game elements inside of it so either the, on the teaching side or the student side designing something you know based upon mm -hmm. that too i mean i'll admit the best thing about google is the limited barrier to entry like it's just it's easy to use like you said you can right. literally make a website in and five and five and it's clever yes yeah. but like a choose your own adventure google site would actually be really quite sweet too right oh. Yeah. Like you could you could like click links and it would take you based on your choices and, and vocabulary. Okay. That'd be pretty cool stuff. What um, I don't know what else to ask. Him. I I was thinking about college students. Oh sure. That because we have a lot of new teachers that come into our school district. I work specifically with high school teachers, and as they come into teach their first year i think they're super overwhelmed by the amount of tech that's expected mm, yeah. of them to be able to use for example we're a one-to-one -one macbook district yeah and they need to learn how to use our learning management system right. they need to use the google suite of tools sure. mm -hmm. and then they need to use everything in between to make sure that they they can formatively assess uh you know the summative assessments etc and sometimes that's like super overwhelming to them so i just wonder like as a college uh, someone that's working within a co uh, college atmosphere, is that a big focus right now too at the college level to make sure that our teachers are being exposed to like in relevant ways uh, technology? You know, I think one thing when I went uh, to higher ed from K-12, people are saying you're going to get pushback. The staff is not going to want to, you know, do this. You know, they're going to be stuck in their traditional teaching. But people forget in the College of Ed, they go out and they supervise and they see what's going on in the schools. Yes, and then they come back true. and know, I I got to do this. I got to model what good integration looks like. Yeah, yeah. And so I think they've used me as a bridge to, to say, hey, how can I model this? What does it look like? Um, I really like, you know, giving the students a framework so they know what good integration looks like. Mm -hmm. I Right now, I think I really like Triple E framework, um, engage, uh, extend, enhance. Uh, nice. It's It's easy. How can we get collaboration, co-use? How can we use tech to do something that connects outside the classroom, connect them with real-world experts, get them to produce something that extends out of the walls? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, if we're enhancing, you know, how are they creating an original end product that, you know, does something different or, or allows them to express themselves or personalize? Um, I think it's a, a good one. And we just ask students, okay, evaluate this tech, you know, that you saw modeled. You know, did it meet the criteria? How would you change it? 
did it reach your goals? Are you nice. teaching students new goals? That's yeah. kind of all the things we're trying to instill in both instructor and pre-service teacher. Very, very cool, man. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out, Twitter, whatever? Yeah, so uh, my Twitter handle is Mr. Underscore J Spike. Try yes. to make it as hard as possible for everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then um, I'll get a plug in if you're interested in kind of that game design. Yes. Um, GameStormEDU.com yes. uh, is uh, the website where I'm kind of putting out resources on game design and, and how to help you or your students facilitate game design. Very cool. We'll make sure we link it. We will link it in the notes. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're thrilled to be joined today by Will Stewart. He's the co-founder of Edgy. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's exciting to have made it through the cold and exciting to uh, be here talking with you today. Awesome. Uh, Will, give our audience maybe uh, a bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do, that kind of stuff. A little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I'm a fifth grade teacher here in Minnesota. Um, I've been fortunate enough to teach in a variety of different settings, urban, rural, everything in between. Um, Depending on how you count it up, I'm in my ninth or my 10th year. I've taught uh, elementary and at the middle school level, language arts and social studies is where my heart is really at, but, but I've taught a little bit of everything. We're always interested, Will, to speak to teachers who are edupreneurs, if that's such a word. And uh, so, <laughs> so what sparked the idea of creating edgy? Yeah, well, I think it came from two places. The first was, so I mean, I'm, I'm in my ninth, tenth year of teaching. And so kind of thinking back to a podcast um, that you guys had a few months ago, you were talking about how you guys were born in that moment where you can both remember a world without Google and yes. a world with Google. Yeah. Um, I'm 32. So I can remember teaching just before one-to-one became something that you could go up to any teacher and they'd know what you were talking about. My yeah. first few years of teaching, you know, we had a smart board in the room, but as far as educational technology, it was that and the computer lab. Yes. Um, and very, in my second year of teaching, we started to have laptop carts and then we started to move towards, you know, having like almost enough devices for every student. And one of the things that struck me was that there wasn't really a very good tool for having students interact with a text and also with each other. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was that needed to change. Um, But then I found myself teaching in a classroom, just was a regular ed classroom where 70% of my students were English language learners. And so getting a discussion around text going was really challenging. I mean, it is for any group of students and for any teacher, but when Mm -hmm. you add in the the language barriers, um, you know, the the filters, um, those kinds of things, it was a challenge. And one day I saw two of my students in the back of the room we were supposed. We we're all supposed to be reading a text about the American Revolution, and these two students were, you know, kind of laughing and elbowing each other and pointing at the screen. And as much fun as I like to think my students have in class, the looks on their faces didn't match what they were being asked to do. <laughs> so, in my best, you know, sneaky teacher way, I worked my way to the back of the classroom to see what it was they were doing and to redirect them. Yeah. And I was absolutely shocked to see that they were, in fact, on the text that I had assigned them. So I got a little bit closer, expecting to see them drawing pictures on the page. And in fact, they were actually using emoji. Um, They were annotating the text with 
a ship, a crate, a British flag, an American flag, um, an angry face emoji, and a greedy face emoji. And it took me a second for it to all click, but I realized that the paragraph that they were annotating was, if you haven't already guessed it, it's about the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Wow. And that was the moment where all of the the pieces that I had collected over my years of teaching just snapped together. And I asked my my entire class, I want you to annotate this text using just emoji. And it was <laughs> wonderful. The students yes. were so into it. You know, every single paragraph had its own unique combination of emoji. And it was just, it was one of the most exciting moments of my teaching career. The hair on my neck still stands up uh, talking about it. And then it all kind of fell apart when I asked them to share what they had annotated. They yes. started, you know, they they couldn't describe the faces that were on there because, you know, there are so many different emoji. And we tried, like, sharing them by message or by like uploading them onto a different page and the emoji got all scrambled. We just ended up, you know, frustrated and looking at a bunch of little um, empty boxes. Yes. And that was when it was like, okay, this is something worth pursuing and we, and we need something that works, something that works quickly and doesn't require um, a lot of time uploading and downloading PDFs and messaging mm -hmm. back and forth and jumping around between different apps. So found a, a group of people who were willing to help build this and we're all still together working on it to this day. And we've expanded uh, far beyond annotating text with emoji. We're really, you know, more about critical thinking, literacy, discussion, communication, and anything that we can do to make that easier um, for the, the teacher or more powerful and insightful for the students. Yeah. I find it, I find it awesome when, when, when it clicks, like you said, it just clicked for you, which is awesome. And, and it's about that piece of connecting kids and what they're really interested in doing personally with what they're doing at school. And I talk about this all the time. And and I and like using emojis for language learning is friggin brilliant, to be perfectly honest. And and I mean, it's exactly those missing links that that teachers need to find all over the place. It's why Glenn and I constantly talk about video games. And it's why I joke. I, I actually joked just the other night on Twitter with with Glenn that that GIF GIFs are my favorite form of communication. <laughs> like, like, but but it's that that's what we're talking about, right? Like that finding those missing links. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And it's it's kind of ironic. You guys were talking about the ties conference a, a yes. while back. And Glenn, I know we met at it. Um, a few years back, I, I was asked by ties to like send a picture of myself to be included in some uh, like literature or a slideshow or something. And just by chance, the selfie that I took of myself to send into them has a parabolic arch in the background. And this is about six months before the idea for edgy came to me. And that parabolic arch starts with cave people drawing cave figures, and then it moves up to using letters and words. Oh yeah. And then the arch starts to decline back down towards emoji. <laughs> and it was me talking to my students about why we don't use emoji um, when we're writing an essay and kind of making fun of the fact that you know we're, we're declining back to the age of of communicating in pictograms so i was by far the least likely person to be converted to thinking that edge that, that emoji had um value in the classroom but but it goes beyond even just the fact that it engages students when you use an emoji it gives you some flexibility i think that's part of why people like to use them so much in text messaging your friend you know texts you and says hey do you want to go see a movie you can text him back with a smiley face and that buys you it, it 
it lets them know you're at the other end, but it buys you 10 minutes to decide what exactly that smiley face emoji means. So when a student, you know, sees highlights George Washington and puts the trumpet emoji on it, okay, maybe at first they thought George Washington was a famous trumpet player, but later once they figure out that he was a general and the first president, they can say, oh, um, actually the trumpet uh, represents the fact that they used bugles to command soldiers, or actually the trumpet means that, you know, he's like the lead musician, the leader of our country. It gives them some flexibility so that they don't have to be right the first time they, they comment. So I was thinking, Will, if we have some uh, different types of teachers that listen to the podcast, language arts teachers, social studies, a variety of different grade levels, how could they actually use this? Like, give us some examples of how they could use edgy as far as in their classes. You've given a great one as far as what struck the idea. How are teachers using it right now? Yeah, that is absolutely the most fun part of being part of the edgy team and and getting a chance to see all the different ways that teachers and students have figured out to use edgy. We try to make edgy as open to ideas as we can. We're, we're very, we try to make it a very flexible tool. Um, so just quickly, you know, obviously close reading and annotating text, making connections, looking for main idea. We've very even cool. seen like kindergartners and first graders going through the text using the, the B emoji, like the little insect to find the letter B or words that start with B or using the cheese emoji to find the ch sound in a text. Um, photos, images, and as you mentioned, GIFs or GIFs, you can annotate those uh, as well. So I've put in absolutely massive images. I mean, we're talking like super high resolution images of artwork or of historic photographs or even an artifact from the Smithsonian that, I mean, they're never going to let me borrow uh, you know, a suffragette's wagon from the 1900s. But what <laughs> yeah. they do is they put in a, you know, 1000 pixel image of it. And then my students can look at it and try to find evidence in there. So putting that up on the board when the students first come into class and asking them, hey, figure out, you know, what is this? What do you think this might be about? Um, we've seen people use it with scripts. So going through and maybe highlighting the mood or the tone um, of a certain scene making inferences about setting. Um, we've also seen people use it for ways that are, are complete departure from the original purpose of edgy analyzing text and doing things like dot voting. Because you can comment on images with a dot, you can, cool. put, you can use it for dot voting. I actually use it for attendance in my class every morning. The, hmm. the X column is hot lunch, cold lunch notes. Yes. And the Y column is the names of my students. So when they come in in the morning, I've got my morning meeting question posted up there and they go to their name, decide whether they want hot or cold lunch or if they have something to tell me, like they have a dentist appointment and they can just click and they can actually answer the morning meeting question, which makes morning meeting much more efficient because they've already thought about what is their favorite movie or if you designed a skyscraper, what would it look like? So edgy itself is a collaborative platform too will i mean we can have multiple people in the same kind of space is that how you know it works if people haven't actually seen it then they can get their mind around how it looks yeah i always love getting this question a lot of times people ask is it just for like one student to work on their own or is it a collaborative tool and that's probably my favorite question to answer because it's both so much of good instruction whether it's digital or you know analog 
is there are a variety of different structures. You can have the teacher teaching the students. You can have students teaching each other. You can have a student working on their own, teaching themselves. And edgy can be all of those things. Um, we have a button. We just call it the heat vision button, and it's on or off. When heat vision is off, a student is essentially like in notability. They're working on the text on their own. It's individual. They can see the teacher's comments and the teacher's feedback, but they can't see what their classmates are doing. Click of the button, heat vision turns on. Every student can see every other student's comments, what they are doing. They can interact with each other. They can reply using text, um, text comments, emoji comments, or audio comments. So very cool. You know, yeah, I love. I it, like. Man. Uh, I like in actually that reminds me of one of my favorite features of Kindle. So when you read a Kindle book and you annotate, you highlight something. You can actually see, I, I don't know if you can turn this on or off, but I obviously have it on and I, I love it that you can see like the most commonly highlighted phrases across the board, like for anybody who's ever read the book. That specific book, yeah. And and I love it because it makes me stop and reread things that I might have, if I might have missed it. Like what did everyone else think was so special about that sentence or that paragraph? What am I missing that I, I skipped by it? But obviously someone else thought this was important and actually not just someone, but a bunch of people thought it was important. That's a really cool feature because it helps students, especially students who would read super quick, maybe not like are not totally on the ball with it. Um, but they see that this is highlighted and they can see that, you know, someone else in the class thought what was being said here was important to read. I should reread this and look at it again. That 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 kind of is a feature of, of edgy, it seems like, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your your comparison to being able to see what other students have highlighted in a text in or on a Kindle is is a perfect one. Right. And it's it is super exciting to see that a student will go back and reread. And the other thing that's kind of powerful and, and maybe a little surprising one of the things that has always been important in education and always will be is differentiation and feedback. Yes. I mean, you, you ask any researcher, I'll just throw out the name Hattie, but ask any you know educational researcher. And I've been fortunate uh, to be married to an education researcher uh, for the past <laughs> four, almost five years. So that helps. But feedback is super important. Differentiation is, is really important. And not only does turning on the heat vision, allow the student to see, oh, other people thought something about this. I'm going to share my thoughts too. For a student who's been staring at a blank page for five minutes and hasn't come up with anything, me being able to turn heat vision on and show them, okay, here's what it would look like if you knew what to look for in the text yes, sure, can be a really helpful form of scaffolding. And you can leave it on until they, they get the idea. And then once they're up and moving and going, you can turn the heat vision off again and they can work off of, of what they've learned from their classmates. That's fantastic. So, Will, if our audience wants to learn more about Edgy, where should we send them? Yeah, um, the first place to go would be edgy.it. That's E-D-J-I.it. Education emoji is, is where the Edgy comes from. Uh, once you get to edgy.it, two places that'll be very helpful. The first one is the guide. The guide is a huge collection of different ideas on how to use it, how to get started, how to make your first reading. Um, it'll explain how to use some of the different features in there. So I, I know I talked a little bit about the heat vision button, um, but yes. we also have the reading recap, which gives you a uh, look at each individual student and what they did in a reading. 
Um, it'll also explain how to use the uh, fire feed, which is just kind of a chronological running list of what students are saying in a text. Um, so it'll work. It'll walk you through all of the different uh, features. It'll give you many, many, many more use cases. The other thing to check out is the Discover feed. That's sort of the public lending library of things that teachers have already constructed for using in Edgy. So it's a good way of seeing how it's already being used. The other thing is Twitter. Uh, we use Twitter yes. for a lot of things, but the number one thing that we tweet out are ways that we have heard of teachers using it or even ways that I have used it in my classroom. And, and do feel free to reach out to us. We love uh, hearing from teachers. And it's our, it's our best way of ensuring that Edgy is the best possible tool that it can be is when we get feedback. So we always awesome. encourage people to reach out to us. Sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us, man. It was an awesome talk. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd love if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor Schoology for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and we'll see you soon.